Good evening. Glad you are here. I want to ask next time if you can sit closer to the back. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a foyer out there. If you go out there, you can sit all the way out back there. I'm glad you're here. Glad you made the effort to be here. I can tell you're Baptist. Um, first off, what an excellent meal all the way around. Everywhere I go, everybody's bragging. Good job. Good job on our meal. We're thankful for that. A couple of things I want to remind you of our kids' event, our medieval movie night, 4 o'clock on Saturday. There's a sign-up in the foyer. Uh, they're going to watch a VeggieTales movie here in the auditorium. There's an awesome supper that they eat with their hands. Uh, going to be a fun night. That starts at 4 o'clock. Uh, so, so be sure if you haven't signed up, uh, there's a sign-up table in the foyer. Be sure and sign up for that. Uh, a couple of other things I want to let you know. Ernestine Barton, uh, she's been gone for a little while. She passed away her Memorial service will be here in the auditorium at 10 o'clock on Saturday. I don't know how that's getting out, so I want to be sure to announce that. Uh, Saturday morning at 10 will be her memorial service here. Um, Pam Welch is having uh, open heart surgery in the morning. At, she has to leave and check in at 5.30, and I think it's a big deal that they're at church tonight. That's a big deal, I think, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're going to be in prayer for you. We're going to pray tonight, and then we're going to be in prayer for you this coming week. Then I want to encourage, as we go into our sermon series in the book of Revelation, I want to encourage you to continue to be in prayer for that, that God will take that, use it, that he'll move through it. Uh, we ended up this last week, and the, the whole point was the time is near, and I promise you, it seems every, every half of a day you think the time is near, the time surely is near. So I want to encourage you to be in prayer for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Reverend Father, we come tonight and we are thankful that you are our gracious, kind Savior. We're thankful you are hope. We're thankful in the person of Jesus that we have hope, again, settled in the finished work of our Savior. Lord, I, I'm thankful for our time of fellowship tonight. I'm thankful for those that worked hard to prepare our meal, bless them. And we're thankful for the time of fun and fellowship, not just good food. We praise you for that. Lord, I pray for the study of the Word of God I know the thing that will be our anchor, the thing that will be our strong foundation will be the truth, the sure truth of the Word of God. And so I pray in weird days, in crazy times, that the foundation is being laid in our kids' classes, in our youth classes, in our other adult class, classes. And then I pray that tonight as we study your Word, uh, that a, a foundation will be stacked upon, built upon in the study of your truth tonight. I pray for... Pam, I, Lord, I pray for uh, peace tonight. It could be a hard night to sleep, but we know uh, you're with her and you're with them. And so we pray for a, a night of rest. And then I pray for tomorrow uh, for your wisdom and, and your skill to, to bless the doctors, the nurses, anybody that will make a decision. And most of all, I pray for you, Lord, as the great physician that you would work. And I pray for a quick recovery. I pray for a quick return to health and we're thankful that, that we can bring this prayer to you. Lord, again, we pray for our, our sermon series in the book of Revelation. I pray that you would speak, that you would give wisdom, that you would build us, equip us, prepare us as your church as the time surely is drawing near. Lord, I, I pray for our study tonight. I pray that you would speak in it, through it, that you'd be pleased with it, and I trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to continue. We're in Lesson 45. Uh, it, is, it is called Royal Psalms, uh, Our Great King. That is our lesson. We are in a, a section of our study where we're looking at 
the Psalms as a whole. We talked about what the Psalms were. And then we've looked at specific classifications of Psalms. The Psalms, there's a bunch of them, uh, but they are broken up into certain classifications. We pulled out uh, six classifications of the Psalms. We are looking at them by class. Tonight we're looking at what is known as what are called the Royal Psalms. Uh, it is a weird thing, and I, I want to say this as we start off again tonight. In our study of the Psalms, uh, the Psalms are a, really a psalm, that's what they are, of worship to God. And so it's our worship expressed to God, but we also know this is the word of God, the word from God. And so in a weird way, uh, these songs are to him, uh, but they're also from him, given to us to, to teach us how to worship. And so as we study these, we're actually seeing from God, this is how you worship. This is what worship involves. This is what heartfelt, true worship looks like. And so it's not just to God, it's also from God uh, in that strange way. Our key verses tonight, we are going to look at Psalm 95. And we try to pick one example for each of the classifications. Uh, Psalm 95, I believe, is a good example of a royal psalm. Now, the key point tonight, uh, God allowed his people their desire of an earthly king. Remember, uh, he was their king. He is their king. But they had, had watched the neighbors, and they had become envious of the neighbors. And so they wanted a king. And so they asked God to, to give them a king. He gives them a king, their desire. Uh, however, his ultimate plan is that he would always be their king, that he would bless them and lead them through his rule as king. The royal psalms, as we understand what this classification is, uh, they are another classification of song in the Hebrew songbook. They were generally sung in pride to honor the nation's king. Now what that means is they were glad for having a king. They were celebrating their king. And so when they would sing these songs, they were celebrating their king. They were honoring their king. Uh, they were done in pride, uh, honoring the, their nation's king. Some of these songs, you go through and listen to them or read them, uh, they were prayers for the king. And so you read it, hey, that is a prayer for the king. Uh, other, other of these songs were, were prayers for guidance for the king, protection for the king, wisdom for the king, God's blessing for the king. Um, some of them were just uh, showing gratitude to God, uh, thankfulness for the king. So here's this classification of psalm. They are sung in, in great joy celebrating the king. Many of them are prayers for specific things for the king. Uh, an interesting thing, all of the royal psalms are also prophetic in nature in that they're pointing to the one true king, uh, our Savior Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. And so as we read these, you're going to see no king can compare. As you look at the his history of Israel, of God's people, you see even the best king, they fall short. A bunch of these guys uh, were wicked kings and did not measure up. No king can compare with, with God's Messiah. No king can compare to being led by God himself. Uh, it's interesting, we're going to see, and it's on the bottom of your worksheet there, when Jesus comes at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, uh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so he is our king. He is the king. 
And all of these songs in a prophetic way are pointing to his kingship. All right, we're going to go through Psalm 95. I think this is a fun way to go through the Psalms. We're going to just look at this, ver- this Psalm uh, verse by verse. All right, starting in, in verse 1. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Uh, the, the word there for Lord in that first part of the verse, for joy to the Lord, it is the word Yahweh. And so Psalm 95 is exalting Yahweh as king. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we move through the verses. Uh, it appropriately begins with this exuberant call to worship. Uh, once again, we see that when God's people would gather, uh, it was marked with loud praises and joyful singing. Notice the verse, sing for joy, shout joyfully. So as God's people would assemble, uh, seeing Yahweh as their king, understanding that, they began their time of worship with singing for joy, with an exuberant shout, joyful shout. Uh, once again, we saw this a week ago, uh, the shout in verse 1 is a shout of victory. So just like when your team wins, just like when a great thing happens and you, and you shout out, that is the same shout here. It is a shout of victory. God in verse 1 is heralded as the rock of our salvation. Now here we go. We're going to start moving through some pictures of, of who God is, what God is like. So worship commences They are exuberant, they are excited, they're singing, they're shouting. And then it says, God is the rock of our salvation. This picture points to a place of safety and security. Here's what we see already. God is our salvation, God is our Savior, and God is our protector. When we run to him, now these aren't just religious words. When you run to God as our relief, As our rescue, you find peace and you find safety. Let me read verse one again. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. All right, moving on to verse two. Verse two. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. As you read verse 2, you start to get the context text nailed down. Uh, The original scene for this song would have been the temple. And so they're gathering at the temple. That's the context of this song. As the corporate worshipers gather, uh, the, the psalmist asks them, commands them, or leads them to worship with thankfulness and praise-filled singing. Now, I want you to picture that. Here they come to the temple. Here they assemble at the temple. They are singing. They are shouting. They are praising God. And the psalmist says, you do this with thankfulness and praise-filled singing. Just picture that for a second. They are thankful. They are praising God. They are expressing their thankfulness. All right. Here's something we see and we keep seeing it. There is a circular movement 
of worship. And, 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 and I believe that pattern holds, there's a, a circular movement of worship, which means this. If you thank God, it will lead to praising God. And if you praise God, it will lead to thanking God. And if you thank God, it will lead to praising God. See how that works? It, it just moves in a circle. Sometimes you say, well, you know what? I, I don't know if I feel it right now. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of in a bad mood. I don't know. It's been this, this kind of a year, this kind of a month. I, I feel distant from God. I have a hard time worshiping right now. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to start by saying, you know what? I still have this, and I still have that, and God blessed us with this, and he never left us in this situation, and I remember we didn't know how we were going to get through that. And as you start to thank God, I promise you, it will turn to praising God. I'll tell you the opposite is true. If you start praising God, he is mighty, he is awesome, he is great, he is infinite in wisdom, I promise you it'll lead to you thanking God. You'll say, you know what? He did guide us through that problem. You know what? He did provide for us in that situation. Here's the question. Where are we on the cycle? And, and here we are. This is a Bible study, but it's not just the passing on of information. Something's supposed to happen as we study God's word. Here's the question tonight. Where are you on the cycle? Are you thanking God right now? What are you thanking him for? And, and, and you may, it may just instantly hit you. I'm thankful that he's not going to be, he's going to be with us tomorrow. I, I'm thankful for, for the fellowship of the church tonight. I'm thankful uh, for, for, for what's happening in the lives of my kids. Are you thanking God? Are you thankful right now? What are you thankful for? Here's the next question. Are you praising God? Are you praising God? How are you praising God? Prayer? Singing, your countenance, uh, just your spirit as you, as you walk through the day. How are you praising God? Now listen, that's, those are serious questions. Those aren't just uh, Sunday school words. Are you thankful? What are you thankful for? Are you praising God? How are you praising God? We're going to see it in, in a set of verses here in a moment. In the Old Testament, in several places, especially with, with several of the places with Moses leading the people out of, out of the uh, slavery, it, it has a word for murmuring, which in the original language is a buzz of complaining. And you, and you go look up that word, it means there's this buzz of complaining. They're just gripping. And they're gripping and they're gripping. And you put all these people together and they're gripping and it just sounds like a buzz of gripping, murmuring. I wonder how often we're more like a buzz of griping than we are a thankful people. Well, I didn't get this report. I didn't get that. And this didn't work out. And it hadn't rained as much as I thought it would. And I don't even know if it's going to rain tonight. And we start to be a buzz of complaining instead of a people that are thankful and praising God. Where are you at on the cycle? Verse 2 again. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully, to him with psalms. I want to talk about one more thing before I leave that. I think about our worship services. What would happen if we slowed down a little bit 30 minutes before we got here and thought, I'm thankful for this and this and this. I'm thankful for these things this week. I'm thankful for where we're about to go and what we're about to do. 
Then we showed up in worship. Uh, sometimes we get here and it's almost like you got to wake everybody up and turn a crank and get everybody ready to, to be a part of the service. What if we showed up and we're just, hey, praise the Lord, I'm thankful, and I'm ready to worship. Marco was talking about uh, the youth kids last year, it was, last week, it was a very similar lesson, and one of the kids said, what if we showed up and actually yelled in the service? And he said, I didn't, he didn't know what would happen, but what, he said, what if we all just sat together, and when the service started, we just started yelling? And I go, I don't, you might get tased, I don't know, Some of the, one of the ushers might shoot you back there. Um, but we ought to be excited. We ought to be glad. We ought to be thankful when we show up to worship. All right, verse three. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. All right, God is the greatest king. He is greater than all other kings. A whole bunch of the pagan religions uh, counted their human kings as an actual God. And so here's our king. Uh, we knew where he grew up. We saw his family. We knew his parents. But now because he is our king, he is God. And so a lot of the pagan neighbors actually counted their human king as a God. Now, the psalmist here declares God's supremacy over all kings, over all gods. Now when I, I think about that, I go, they counted Caesar as God. Um, a lot of pagan countries did, did the same thing. Isn't that weird? And then I thought about this. Did you know, this is a true story. Um, at the end of World War II, the Japanese emperor was counted as God. He was counted as God in his country. Do you know they took about a week to figure out for how they would surrender because their God is surrendering to MacArthur and the, the U.S. generals. And I thought, what a weird thing that this, how does a God surrender? He's not a God. There's, there's no pretending he's God, but they actually had to slow down and figure out the, the best way for him to surrender and for the people to still think that he is God. Well, it's the same way here. They counted their kings as God. It's saying here, he is supreme to all kings, to all gods. I want you to notice this starting in verse 3. We have this question that goes all the way through Scripture. Who is God? What's God like? And that's, that's really what the revelation of the Bible is. It's telling us, here's who he is. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's doing. Here's what we can know about him. And so the Bible is telling us, showing us who God is. Well, this is just another piece of that. Who is God? What is he like? What is he like? Well, now it says he is like a king. So we know he's creator. We know he's infinite in wisdom. Uh, we know he's our provider, sustainer. Well, now we see he is our king. Well, what does that mean? Well, think about that for a second. What does a king do? A king leads the people, rules over the kingdom, commands the army, seeks peace, defends peace, represents the nation. What is a king like? Majestic, royal, powerful. And so we see here, what is, what is our God like? He is also like a king. There's a word there that says, a, and a great king above all gods, and a great king above all gods. 
The word for great there in the original language in, in Hebrew means greatest, biggest, most prominent, mightiest, most exceeding. And so our God is the most exceeding, biggest, greatest king. And so he's not just a king, he is, he is the greatest king. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. All right, verse four. In whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. Who is God? What is he like? All right, verse four tells us some more. In whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. All right, in verse four, God's rule over all creation is celebrated. Now, I want you to think about this. The tallest mountain and the lowest valley are held in the palm of his hand. That's what the Bible says. The top, Mount Everest, people spend all this money and time trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. The biggest mountain, palm of his hand. The lowest valley, the palm of his hand. Now think about that reality. The psalmist, God's word, is telling us that's, that's who God is, all right? If that's who God is, the biggest mountain, the, the deepest valley, or in the palm of his hand, here's a good question. So what can God not do? So what can God not do? Here's, here's another question. So how awesome is he? If the biggest mountain, the deepest valley, or the palm of his hand, what can he not do? He can do anything. How awesome is he? Verse four again. In whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. Verse five. The sea is his, for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. All right, verse five. The king is the creator. Now, imagine all that that means. He is the king, but now we also see he is the creator. He not just rules over everything, possessing everything, but he literally made everything. That, that's a huge thing. He rules everything, leads everything, dictates everything, possesses everything, but he also made everything. Now notice from the verse, there's not part of the earth left out. It says, whether it's the land or the dry sea, God is responsible for that. Think about this. I, I think it's very timely, over and over, God reveals himself to us uh, as the creator. As God reveals himself to us, starting in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation, God reveals himself to us as the creator. That is a central thing that we learn about God. Uh, think about the attacks that we have on the word of God. Most of them start with, did God really create? Is he responsible for creation? Did he really create in this way? Can you put trust in his, his, his episode, his uh, testifying to the account of creation? He, listen, if, if you're going to have a problem with the start, you're going to have problems all the way through. He reveals himself in a central way as the creator. All right, let me ask you a question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think God reveals himself as creator? And I, I, I go, 
that one thing really influences all the other things. If he's the creator, that means he has the most power. It means he has the most wisdom. It means he's eternal. The Bible says he's not in time. He's out of time. If everything that exists came from him, he exists before anything exists. He is eternal. You just keep going down the line. If, if he is responsible for creation, he knows why you were created. He knows why trees were created and mountains. He has the wisdom behind all things. He has the power behind all things. All right, so then take the flip side of that question. What would it mean if God were not the creator? It would mean somebody's greater than him. It would mean something is greater than him. It would mean there's some things he's not possessing, that he is lacking. And so if our God is not the creator God, he's not the greatest king. He's not the greatest God. And so all of that comes back to he is our creator God. All right, let's go to verse 6. Verse 5 again, the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Verse 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord, our maker. All right, both of these physical actions in verse 6, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Both of these actions were physical actions that they did to honor the king. You would kneel down before the king. You would bow down before the king. They were both acts that had two meanings. Number one is we see the high position of the king. So the king comes in, you bow down. I see the high position of the king. But the second reason, it was to show your submission to the king. So he is the king, I see that, but I also humble myself and I submit myself to the king. Well, once again, um, when he is our great God. He is the great king. And so in the same way, we humble ourselves and our call is to submit to him. Notice again the role of creator in verse six. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Once again, it goes back to creator. But I want you to see this. Now it is personal. He is our maker. He is our maker. He is responsible for us. Our maker. I want to go slow right here. You can put your name right there. And that's, that's what I want you to think about for a second. He is your maker. Now, not generically. Not like he made all this. He is your maker. He is your maker. Now, I want, I want to talk about what that means for a second. He is your maker. He knows you. He has a purpose for you. He sees you. He understands you. I, nobody understands me. He understands you. He has a value for you. He, he made you to do things. He understands that what he made you to do. He is your creator. He is your maker. He knows what's best for us. He made you. He knows what's best for you. There's a whole bunch tied into he is our maker. Let me read verse six again. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. All right, verse seven. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, 
For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice. All right, verse 7 starts off a directive, a, a, a direction for us. Before it gives us the directive, it, it tells us here, it reminds us uh, some more of the attributes of God. Who is God? What is he like? Uh, the word here for God in verse 7, uh, it's not Yahweh as it was earlier. It is now Elohim. Uh, Elohim means supreme one or mighty one. Um, another translation says might almighty. As much might as you can get, he's almighty, more mighty than that. And so he's my almighty. He, he is the supreme one. Now notice the language in verse 7. He is our God, Elohim. That means this. He is our mighty one. He is your mighty one. He is my mighty one. All right? Who is God? Why are we worshiping him? He is our mighty one, my almighty. The next thing. Who is God? Why are we worshiping him? The next picture is that of a shepherd. Now, there, there's a whole bunch of examples of that through Scripture. God is our shepherd. What does that mean? It means we are under his care. It means he has a stewardship over us. He's caring for us. He's watching over us. Uh, the Bible tells us he doesn't lose his sheep. The Bible tells us he doesn't abandon his sheep. And I, I'll just tell you, as I read that, uh, because of our perspective, it's hard for me not to think of the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus. He doesn't lose us. He doesn't leave us. He leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one. So who is God? He is our shepherd, the great shepherd. All right. So here we go. Praise God. Worship God. Sing your praises. Why do you do it? Because of who he is. He's the greatest king. He, he, is, he is infinite in all these attributes. He is my almighty. Well, now here's the response. With those understandings of God made clear, the psalmist, the songwriter says, well, then here's what you need to do. Then call, if you, then the, 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 the call is, if we hear his voice. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his ham. Here we go. Today, if you would hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah in the day of Massa in the wilderness. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm going I'm to show you what that means. That that's mentioned there comes from Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. And I'm, I'm going to read that account to you. It says, do not do what those folks did. Here's what they did. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cries out to the Lord and said, What shall I do to this, with this people? A little more, and they will stone me. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff which you, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the coral of the sons of Israel. And because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? All right, the picture is here. God is leading his people. They have seen miraculous things. They've seen the Red Sea. And yet one day they say, I don't think God's with us. I don't think God's going to protect us. I don't think God's going to follow through. And they actually begin to publicly doubt God. It says, put him to the test. They questioned him. They rebelled against his commands. Well, here's what this means. To harden your heart is to shut yourself off from having a receptive heart that desires to walk with God in obedience. Now, listen to that. God tells us how to live. God tells us he'll bless us if we'll walk in obedience. To have a hard heart is to say, I know what he says, I'm not going to do it. I know he says, in my home, do this. Not going to do it. I know he says, this is what a marriage looks like. Not going to do it. He says, here's how you handle your finances. Not going to do it. And, and so to harden your heart is to shut your, your, yourself off from having a receptive heart to, to walking with God in obedience. Now, not having a hard heart would say, you know what, I don't understand, but if God says it, I'm going to do it. You know what, I, I remember in the past when I did it and he blessed me, I'm going to do it. That is having a, a soft heart, a receptive heart. Now, I want you to get this. Here are these people. God tells them what to do. They grumble against him. They respond in disobedience. I want you to notice this. It is not a matter of ears that they hadn't heard or of the mind that they didn't understand. It is a matter of the heart. And so I want, you to, I want you to hear that again. I want you to understand that. When you decide to disobey, to, to disregard what God has said, it's not because you don't have ears and didn't hear. It's not because you don't have a mind and you don't understand. When you walk into rebellion, when you walk into sin, it's because you want to. And it's a, it's a problem with your heart. Here's a question tonight. So tonight, how is your heart toward God? And I, I think about a, a couple different ways. I think there's people that are rebellious toward God. I don't care what he wants. Um, they're indifferent, don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I think there's a whole lot of folks in our day um, that are rebellious, indifferent toward God. I think there are people that are maybe so distracted or maybe so apathetic or, 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 or maybe so numb that they're just not listening to God. And so they're not, they're not just coming out and saying, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to run this way. They're just saying, you know what, I'm just going to exist in disobedience. I always have. My neighbors have. God will forgive it. It's not that big of a deal. And they really have this numb rebellion that's going on. And then I think there's other people that have come to know who God is. And as they've figured out who God is, they figured out, you know what, I don't want to mess up anymore. I don't want to dishonor his name anymore. I don't want to go back to the places I've been. 
And, and I think their heart begins to change and you're excited about, I'm gonna walk in obedience. I'm gonna be different than I used to be for his glory. Uh, and, and, and I think that becomes the attitude of your heart. So here's the question. How is your heart toward God? Rebellious, indifferent, or excited and ready to walk in obedience? Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah's in the day of Massa in the wilderness. Verse 9. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. The songwriter has listed a whole bunch of the great attributes of God. All right, here we are in the song. He's told us, here are the great things about God. Here's a question. How crazy, how absurd not to follow him. That's crazy, really. Think about these attributes. How crazy not to follow him. All right, here's what I'm going to do. This is going to be weird, but we'll try it. I'm going to ask you for an attribute of God, a, a good thing about the character of God, an attribute of God, and, and I, I just want you to holler it out. It may just be a word. It may be a sentence. He is faithful, whatever it is. Just holler out an attribute of God. Anybody can get started. Forgiving. Louder. Loving. Louder. Just start going. Attributes of God. Gracious. I always feel like I'm on Ferris Bueller when I do this. Long-suffering, patient, mighty, gracious, kind, infinite in wisdom, infinite in strength. Uh, kind to us as sinners. Just start going down the list. Who is God? Faithful, trustworthy, um, eternal God. All these things. Go down the list. Who is God? Who is God? Then let me ask you the question. So why would you not follow him? So why would you not obey him? So why would you not listen to him? And I'm talking to myself. If he is those things, why would we disobey him? Why would we not follow him? Why would we not submit all things to him? In verse 9, it's the exact same situation. The people of Israel had observed God. They actually knew God. They knew what he would do. They knew what his character was. They actually knew God, and yet they doubted him, and yet they put him to the test. That's the nuttiest thing ever. That's the most absurd ever, thing ever. If you know who God is, why would you not follow him? I want you to notice this. In verse 9, notice God, who's speaking. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Verse 9 is not the songwriter anymore, it's God speaking. And I want to tell you what he's saying. He's saying, why are y'all so dumb? How can you be that stupid? You know who I am. You see who I am. What is wrong with the people that would not submit and follow me? That's the voice of God. All right, verse 10. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. This is a very profound verse. For 40 years I loathed that generation. I said and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. All right, God's speaking in verse 10 again. He shows his anger toward those people. He shows his disappointment in those people. And he shows his judgment for their disobedience. There's always consequences 
for disobedience. He shows his judgment of their disobedience. The Hebrew word for loathed, it's, it's not really hated here as it is was grieved. For 40 years, I was grieved that they did not listen. Uh, another more literal translation, I was pained. I was pained for 40 years that they would not listen. He was sorrowful over their rebellion. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. I want you to notice in verse 10, this is why I said it's a profound verse. See the reason for their disobedience. Why do we disobey? Why do we sin? When we know it's not the best thing, why do we sin? Here's, here's what it tells us in verse 10. At its core level, the reason we sin, the reason we disobey is because we really do not know God. And that's what verse 10 says. It says they err in their heart. They, they mess up. They err in their heart because they do not know God's ways. Here's the truth of the matter. If you trust God, you'll obey God. And if you do not obey God, there's an issue with your trust in God. So why do we sin? Why do we disobey? The, the bottom line is this. We do not trust, know God. All right, think about that. Think about times that you entered into sin. Think about times that you walked in sin. When you did that, you were basically saying, I know better than you. I don't believe what you have said. I don't believe your way is best. But had you known God, that he is good, that he is wise, that he is your creator, that he does have the best thing for you, you wouldn't have done that. And so when you're doing that, you're, you're saying, I don't know you. I don't trust you, and so I'm not going to obey you. So how do we fix that? Let me tell you this. The way we walk out away from sin and the way we sin less this month than we did last month is we become experts in knowing who God is, his character, his nature, his goodness. We spend time in his word. I promise you this, as you grow in the knowledge of God, you will hate sin more and you'll hate your own sin more. That is how we walk away from our sin problem. We know who God is. If you know him, you'll trust him. Verse 11, therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. God's judgment was terrible. Uh, they didn't get to go into the promised land. Uh, their, their lack of faith kept them out of God's blessing. And that is an exact picture of the gospel. By the time I get to the 11th verse, I'll start thinking, you know what we just did? We walked through a picture of our gospel. They didn't trust God because they didn't know God. And for a lack of faith in God, they are kept out of the blessing of God. I want you to think about this in our, in our day. Our God is awesome. Our God is gracious to us. You know what? If you'll ask him to forgive you, he will. Our God has revealed himself to us. You want to know who he is? He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Our response to that is to worship him and to receive him by faith. I believe you are who you say you are. 
I believe you're the, you're the creator God of all things. I believe you're the savior God, and I trust you. And when you trust him, when you respond in faith, what does he do? He blesses your faith. It says here, they did not enter into my rest. They didn't get to go to the promised land. In, in, a, in, in a sense, we won't go to the promised land either outside of Christ. That's true. But the rest here is not talking about that. It's talking about resting from your sin, resting from the guilt of your sin, resting from the shame of your sin, resting from the work, trying to work off your sin. There is rest in Christ. That's the gospel. He is awesome. He is gracious. He's revealed himself in the person of Christ. When we trust him in faith, we, we participate in his rest. But the flip side is, is the call of the song. However, we can still harden our hearts. Hardening our hearts will still result in God's judgment. It's a tough thing to say, but you know what? You can still go to hell. God is gracious and he's kind. He's provided a savior. You can still go to hell. You can still reject Christ. You can still say, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to put my faith in the good news of our gospel. This song celebrates our one true king and basically does this. It calls us not to miss him. Do not miss our king. Do not miss our Savior, Jesus Christ. When you hear, do not harden your hearts and miss what he, what he calls you to. If you'll respond in faith, he'll save you. It is a call for us not to miss our king. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your encouragement. I'm thankful for the reminder of who you are. And I pray, Lord, that tonight your word has borne fruit. I pray that your word would shape how we go back the rest of the week. I pray, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would praise you. I pray that we'd be a people of thanksgiving and our hearts would be known and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray when we gather again that our worship reflects what we've learned tonight. And we shout and we sing and we praise and our hearts are filled with joy and thankfulness. Again, Lord, I pray that you have spoken. I believe you have. I pray that you speak to our kids in a messed up hard world, to our youth in a world that's going to test them, to our adults, Lord, that the world is coming for them. I, I pray that we have a foundation that's stronger tonight, that, that is more solid tonight, built upon the truth of your word. I pray for these in this room Bless them, encourage them. Pray for those listening in some other way tonight. Bless them, encourage them as well. We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.